Welcome to Partnering Leadership, conversations with leading influencers in the greater Washington, D.C. region and global thought leaders, helping you align better with your purpose, grow professionally with meaning, and have a greater impact. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at PartneringLeadership.com. Now here's your host, Mahan Tavakoli. Welcome to Partnering Leadership. I'm really excited to be bringing to you this week my conversation with Doug Wheeler, who is the president of Washington Performing Arts from 1982 through 2002, and he is still a big advocate for the arts. While he was president, he led the transition of Washington Performing Arts to a multicultural model and was a strong advocate for equity in the arts. Doug has won numerous awards, including being recognized as Washingtonian of the Year. And also in 2004, he was invited by Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg to chair the Friends of Music at the Supreme Court, which he did for 16 years. Thank you for all the positive comments about the podcast. Keep those coming. Mahan at MahanTavikoli.com. And on PartneringLeadership.com, there is a microphone icon. You can leave me a voice message there. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to the podcast. That way you make sure that as I release new podcast episodes, you are the first to get them. And for those of you that enjoy this on Apple Podcasts, when you get a chance, please go ahead and leave a rating and review that will make it easier for others to find this podcast too. Now, here is my conversation with Doug Wheeler. Doug Wheeler, welcome to Partnering Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Mahan. It's great to be with you today. I am thrilled knowing a lot about your leadership journey, the impact you have had, not only on the arts, but in this entire community. It makes me excited to find out a little bit more about your background and then share some of your successes, some of the values that you have embraced and been a big part of with respect to this entire community with partnering leadership. Would first want to find out Whereabouts did you grow up, and how did your upbringing impact the kind of person you became, Doug? I'm a Washingtonian, Columbia Hospital for Women in 1940. For years, I worked just down the street from where I was born. Grew up in Arlington. My parents moved to Arlington in 1940, one of the first families in a little community called Arlington Forest. So I grew up. I went to public schools in Arlington. I stayed at home. I was a son that stayed home. Went to American University, got a master's degree from there, and I'm a native. That's fabulous. One of the rare people that grew up in this area, stayed in this area, and we're fortunate to have that. Now, you did study at American University, so my brothers will be happy to hear that too. But why did you choose performing arts and management as a career after graduating from school? Well, it's interesting what influences your life. I was a major in economics. I had offers to work at the Department of Treasury, but I met along the way an impresario named Patrick Hayes, who had been presenting performing arts presentations in Washington, D.C. since the early 40s. And I had been asked to put together a produce a radio program for WAMU at American University. And I chose Federal Aid of the Arts, which was related to my economics interest. 
and I asked uh, Patrick Hayes to be the moderator. We had Senator Claiborne Pell. We had the manager of the symphony, the opera, the, some of the critics in the newspapers. And then he invited me to some of the wonderful events that he was presenting in Washington. And I sort of had an epiphany that this is something that really looks like could interest me. I had music in my house growing up. So it sort of came to me that he offered me a job. $5,000 a year to work in a tiny little office in the Campbell Music Company downtown and put on some of the greatest artists in the world. First year I was with him, we had Rudolf Nerea from the Washington, the National Ballet of Great Britain. We had Arden Rubenstein, Joan Baez, Annie Goodman, everything you can imagine that was coming to town. And I fell in love with it immediately. That is fabulous. And with that love, you ended up eventually becoming president of Washington Performing Arts back in 1982. What brought you to Washington Performing Arts? Originally, Patrick Hayes had his own little for-profit concert bureau, and that's how I started out. After a year of training, he sent me to New York to get some seasoning and worked for a concert agency trying to find engagements for artists around the country. My territory was Winnipeg to Corpus Christi. And I got in a car and I drove and I visited every little college, anybody that had a budget to bring an artist to their city. So I learned the hard way on the road. Then they didn't quite know what to do with me after a year. And yes, if the newly formed Saratoga Performing Arts Center could use an expert in publicity, I knew nothing about, particularly about public relations, but I helped open the Saratoga Performing Arts Center. And after a year, the Cleveland Orchestra wanted to open a new Performing Arts Center in the summer. And they asked if I'd come and help do that. So for five years, I went out and learned the ropes and the performing arts. And then Patrick Hayes had just formed one of the first nonprofit performing organizations in the country and asked if I'd come back and make that a career. So I came back home, started work with Patrick in 1969, and I've been there ever since. And that's fabulous. And you led many different initiatives and transformation at Washington Performing Arts under your tenure as president. Specifically, you focused a lot of effort on community engagement as a centerpiece. What drove you to make community engagement a centerpiece of Washington Performing Arts? Well, I had some inherited leadership. Patrick Hayes was way before his time in this regard. And back when he started the organization in 1965, he made uh, community relations and growth one of his mission points. We had an integrated board of directors. We had an artist, one of the first organizations in town to have an artist as uh, the chair of the board. Uh, a lot of the board members came from Howard University. So he was reaching out very early on when none of this was happening. When it came to be my turn in 1982, I had a real grounding in how to build boards in interesting ways and bring people from all over the community to participate in our organization. For my part, I focused on how to support artists in our community. That was sort of unheard of around the country at the time and gave a lot of Washington artists their debuts on the main stages in Washington. So in 1988, I was invited to join Leadership Washington. I met people from all of our community that you'd never meet anyplace else. I began to involve them in our mission. A lot of them came on our board at different times. A lot of them I used to develop partnerships in the community. To this day, it was one of the most formative moments in my career in terms of how to connect with your community, how to engage your community, how to serve your community. 
Doug, I know early on you had a strong commitment to equity for the organization also, which in certain respects is way ahead of its time. What drove you to have that commitment to equity for Washington Performing Arts? When you begin to see how big your community is and what the needs are, it didn't take long to realize that I didn't have the skills and the relationships and the trust that was needed to make our organization relevant. So I did a couple of things. Perhaps the most significant impact was beginning to hire people of different communities to do the programming. So I hired a young man out of Howard University who helped develop the first gospel program of any organization. It's the first time that gospel had been presented on the main stages here in town. There's some interesting stories with that. I hired a young Latino woman who began an Arte America project. And we had a young Asian American who was a master of developing partnerships throughout the community. Pretty soon we were having people answer the phone in Spanish. We were having artwork done by people of color and a certain kind of trust developed that I could have never done myself. So I like to think of it as shared leadership. I was responsible to the board and indeed it was a team team effort. Doug, as you were leading this change for greater equity, was there any resistance in the community or elsewhere with respect to where you were leading Washington Performing Arts? The interesting thing is we grew out of a Eurocentric model where when I began in the business, it was all orchestras and recitals and wonderful, beautiful artists that I've worked with over the years. So to find a board of directors that will not only give you the support you needed, but also was interested in the equity component, back in the 80s, that was more of a challenge. And I never had people leave the board. But finding the funding to do all this, uh, that was in my bailiwick while everybody else was out uh, doing wonderful programming. So that was a pretty big challenge. But here we are. We did it. and We moved on. One of the interesting challenges was when we started our gospel program, we were bringing in national national artist in the gospel field, most of whom I didn't know or wasn't aware of. And I began to make a tour of churches in the community, African-American churches. And I found that the same artists that we were bringing to the Kennedy Center were appearing in the churches. And it was a way for them to engage an audience and to make some money. And I never realized that gospel music, when it wasn't on the main stages, was being presented by the churches, and we were competing with the churches. So there was resistance to, what are you doing here? This is We haven't been invited here before, and now you're competing with us. No one actually said that to me, but that's what I felt. So we came up with the idea of beginning of producing a mass choir, and we did for years. We've had since 1990. We've had a mass choir perform at the Kennedy Center. We invited all the directors from all the churches in the gospel community to come and direct. So that was the key, that we were providing something that no one else could do. I can't take a lot of credit for it. I sort of waved the flag and said, this is the direction we want to go. And my partners in leadership made it up. Well, you led the organization with a vision, brought the right people on the team so they could engage the community. And you engage the community in something that would be a win for everyone involved. 
we're very happy with that. And to this day, it's a thriving chorus. We have two choruses. We have a children's chorus, which you can see at WashingtonPerformingArts.org, performing wonderful works. And we have an adult chorus. That is fantastic. Now, while you were doing this, you were also involved in different aspects of the community, including leading DC Chamber of Commerce in 1996. So yes, I was encouraged by my mentor, Patrick Hayes, to get involved with the community if we were going to be relevant to the community. I didn't see many other performing arts managers at the D.C. Chamber, but I met some of the most wonderful, innovative, creative, effective people that I've ever met sitting around the table at the Chamber. And I became and got on the board, and then one day somebody called and said, what do you think about chairing it for a year? So I did, and I learned even more. And many of those people came to serve on our boards, too. So that interaction, that sort of introduced me more to the idea of equity in terms of who has access to funding, who has opportunity for growth in our community. An amazing perspective that I like, carry to this day. Then, Doug, in 2004, you were invited by Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg to be chair of Friends of Music at the Supreme Court. How did that come about, and what was the result of that? The notorious RBG, a wonderful lady. A friend of mine had helped produce music at the court. They've had that since the late 80s, and it's a private event, musicals, a couple times a year. It gives the justices a little break from their rigorous routine. He got to be of a certain age and it was too much for him. So she asked who would take it over and he recommended me. And so I went and had sat down and had lunch with her at the court. Her husband made the meal and brought it in and we had a lovely lunch together. And I could see she was sort of sizing me up. I just retired from being president of Washington Forming Arts. So I had the capacity so she invited me to help produce this wonderful event, uh, and we did it for some 16 years till she passed. That is fabulous, and I know you also learned a lot from her in your many interactions with her. Well, first of all, everything that's written about her is pretty much true. I think for the first 10 or 12 years we were together, she wasn't known as the notorious her dream in life was to be an opera singer, and of course she wasn't, didn't have that capacity, but she loved the arts, she loved working with artists. So I found, she asked my advice on a lot of artists to bring, but I found in general what she wanted, she got. <laughs> All the greatest stars of the opera world and, and music come and perform at the court. So, Doug, obviously you have had tremendous success in leading Washington performing arts and lots of achievements all along the way. Leaders also have setbacks and things they wish they had done differently. From your perspective, what do you think you've been able to do even more effectively? Well, first of all, I think at this very moment, after 52 years of Washington Forming Arts, that we're on the wonderful plane of being where I wanted to be with our current leadership and Jenny Billfield, our current CEO been with us uh, seven years. Uh, she has taken everything that I started and just grown it and made it much more deeper than I was able to do. But I think over the years, the greatest challenge, equity and program that you have been so committed to is to make sure that it's institutionalized and it grows and, and is ingrained in the organization in a way that when you leave, and we all leave, 
that it continues. And I guess one of my regrets is that we've had hiccups along the way. We've had pushes and starts and fallbacks. The fact that it, that we're still committed to it after all these years is wonderful. We hired the right person to do that. But I sometimes felt insufficient in terms of how I engaged the board and what choices were made ups and downs. But I'm pleased to sit here and say that equity is an enormous part of our organization now. That's fabulous. Now, Doug, you've received so many different awards. You were Washingtonian of the Year. You were awarded rank of Chevalier in France's Order of the Arts and Letters. Invested with the insignia of the Commander's Cross of the Royal Norwegian Order of Merit. So I would love to know your perspective on these awards, what they mean to you. I think that what I've learned over the years is tremendous respect for the cultures of other countries. And indeed, it helped us start a program with some 50 embassies here in town, where we partner an embassy with a sixth grade class in the district. And they spend the entire year learning about another culture, maybe one of the most important programs you can imagine in today's world. So over the years, I got to know most of the cultural attaches at the different embassies. I began to bring a lot of cultural exchange artists to the Kennedy Center. And we stay around long enough and we make great friends and get an award or two. You have definitely earned those awards. It's not just for making friends, it's for the impact you've had on the community. So as you reflect on your career, if you were to give advice to younger leaders as they're aspiring to be as impactful as you have been, Doug, what advice would you give for leaders? Well, every leader is different. Every experience is different. It's hard to categorize what makes a leader. I think from my standpoint in the nonprofit community, if you want to serve your community, then you have to engage your community. You have to get involved with your community. And programs like the Leadership Washington Program, the Chamber of Commerce, those are the kind of relationships that nurtured what I wanted to do that have served me a, a lifetime. So get involved with your community. Uh, it's not the normal instinct to drop your day-to-day -day work and get out there. I think it serves you very well if you're in the nonprofit sector. And of course, I love to quote Justice Ginsburg, who is many of our heroes, uh, who said that you have to fight for what you want, but do it in a way that will lead other people to join you in what you're doing. And that, to me, is getting involved into your community. What a brilliant quote and what a brilliant way to capture what you've done in fighting for what you believe for this community and for the arts, but bringing people along that entire journey so our community is better through Washington Performing Arts. Thank you so much for your leadership and sharing some of your story with our podcast audience, Doug. Thank you, Mahat. You've been listening to Partnering Leadership with your host, Mahan Tavakoli. For additional leadership insights and bonus content, visit us at partneringleadership.com.